You are listening to sermon audio from Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to know more about us, check us out online at www.cogginchurch.org. All right, well, good morning, church. Good, man. I'm so pumped that you're here. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to open it this morning to the book of Philippians. Chapter 3 is where we're going to be. If you're new, uh, a guest, or a first time visiting here, you're kind of catching us in the middle of a series through the book of Philippians. It's called Choose Joy. And we just think, man, the guy who is writing this book is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing from a prison cell and saying, listen, even from a prison cell, choose joy. And we just think, man, God's word is important. And when when, uh, someone like the Apostle Paul is writing from a prison cell, telling us to choose joy, we want to listen to what he has to say. Um, So, man, we're excited that you're we're excited that you're, you're, you're here this morning. So I want to pick up, we'll be in verse 12, and Paul here is going to begin to liken uh, the Christian pursuit of Christ. Uh, again, he's going to use kind of athletic imagery, and I don't know if you're uh, an athlete this morning. You don't, you don't have to be. It's just a metaphor. Don't get worried. Uh, he's not going to command you to run or anything. Uh, so I, I used to enjoy running. Um, a few years ago, I was running with a, a college student who'd asked me to kind of run with him, and uh, we were going around Coggin Park, and he started to kind of get ahead of me, and I just thought, all right, man, I'm just going to kick this into second gear, catch up, and uh, I realized I, I, I have no second gear anymore. Uh, it's gone, and I don't think it's going to be returning anytime soon, and I'm okay with that, all right? I have made, made peace with that, um, but he's going to use this imagery uh, again here of just this passionate, single-hearted, one thing. One thing, pursuit of Jesus. And so this morning, what I want to do is just encourage your heart to pursue Christ, pursue Christian maturity in in humility, with passion, and with a just radical gospel-centeredness. And so to do that, let's begin here. In verse 12, I want to to read a few verses here and then pray, and then we'll we'll dive into this. Would you stand together with me as we, we read God's word this morning in honor of the word? So here's what Paul writes beginning in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Father, my prayer this morning, I'm is that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I'm so thankful for the chance to to gather together with the body of Christ, with other brothers and sisters in Jesus, to to sit together, to be encouraged through, through the worship of song as we sing truths like our transformation in Christ, that death is just a doorway into everlasting life, and we will join you when we rise on that last day. Lord, the truths that we sing and, and, and as we worship of all that you have done for us in Christ, and Lord, now as we come to the, to the worship of your word, as we uh, worship you through the preaching of your word, Father, I pray that you help me this morning. Be faithful to this text. You know where every heart is in this place. You know where every person is in this place. 
And so, Lord, I pray that through the preaching of your word this morning, where someone needs to be encouraged, your spirit would do that work. Lord, where someone needs to be exhorted or rebuked this morning, Father, that your word, your word would do that work. Um, Lord, be with us now as we, as we look at this text and help me preach faithfully to the word here. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. All right, now as I began studying this text, there was one thing that I thought we, we need to kind of nail down first, because Paul, at first when you're reading this, to me it seemed a little elusive. When I read this, I thought, what is he talking about? What is Paul talking about here? Go back and look at verse 12. Uh, we're going to read these verses again. He says, not that I have already obtained this, this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Look at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining um, forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize. So Paul, when, when I began reading this, he's using a lot of this it, this, the goal, the prize, and he never, it seems like he just never comes out and specifically says, all right, what is the it? What is the this that Paul is straining for, that he is striving for? And listen, that, that matters. The goal matters. Like, put all the effort in that you want. Do it all right. But if, you, if you're aiming for the wrong target, it doesn't, it doesn't do you any good. So I, I read an article this week of a gentleman who'd, who'd been looking for a job, trying to find a job. He finally got a job with a company that was painting houses, and they, they did some work with him. They showed him some things. They, they sent him out. He gets to his first job, and I don't know if you've ever uh, painted a house before. Don't, all right? Just hire someone to do it because, I mean, the, the, the prep work for painting a house is colossal. You have, to, you have to tape off windows. You have to tape off doors. You have to put things down. If, if you have a second story, there's ladders involved. There's all kinds of things. And this guy, I mean, he wants to just prove this is a good job. I want to make sure I do this job right. He goes through the tedious work, gets everything done. He is just going at it, painting the house, rocking along, gets to the last side of the house that he's painting. And his boss shows up, and his boss gets out of the car. He's like, what are you doing? The guy's like, man, I don't, I, I, did I do something wrong? Like, I, I've taped off the doors. I've, I've done the windows. I've, I'm, I'm doing this. I've used the right amount of paint. And the boss is like, this is the wrong address you are painting, we, I don't know who this is. You just painted someone's house. I don't, and, 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 and so listen, the goal matters, right? Like you get to the wrong, the wrong goal and you've arrived at the wrong place. So when, when Paul writes here, the goal is it, it's this, it's one thing. This is the goal, this is the prize, it, this. What is Paul talking about? So let me see if I can just kind of tell you what Paul is talking about. Here he's talking about being perfectly conformed into the image of Jesus on the day of resurrection. This is my goal. I want to stand on the day of resurrection and be perfectly conformed into the image of Jesus, the likeness of Christ. Yes, God has saved me now. I am in this process of sanctification that is happen, happening. But in, in Corinthians, Paul says, I see through a veil dimly right now. And there's coming a day when that veil is taken away and we see Christ 
face to face, and I know him perfectly, and I am perfectly known. I want to get to that place where I know Christ perfectly, where I like and I am, and I want to be like Jesus. This is my goal. This is the wholehearted pursuit. Everything trends towards this goal on the day of resurrection when I know Christ and I am like Christ. Nothing else matters. This is the goal of Paul. And we we think that Paul is beginning to talk about this because there's this teaching that is infiltrating the church right now here in Philippi that somehow when you come to faith, you're already uh, made perfect in practice, not just position, but in practice. So, so you don't need to pursue anymore. You don't sin anymore. We just call them mistakes, but it's not really sin because you can't sin anymore in Christ. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. I mean, I'm, I'm not there yet. I am pursuing Jesus and what it means to like and be like Christ. So let me ask you this morning, what is the goal of your life? What's the one thing above all other things that you are pursuing with your life? This is his goal. Resurrection resurrection from the dead is a means to this goal of knowing Christ perfectly, being unencumbered by the power, the penalty, and the presence of sin anymore. This is the thing that Paul is pursuing So my question this morning as I read this is, how do we pursue that goal well? Go well. Let me give you the first thing. Look here at the beginning of verse 12. Paul says this, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Look at the beginning of verse 13. Paul writes and says this, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So the first thing, if you're going to pursue this goal, the first thing that you have to do is acknowledge that you have not arrived yet. You haven't arrived yet. I am, listen, God is working in me. God is doing things in me, but I am not finally and fully and ultimately in the place where I want to be. Every goal that you and I pursue begins with some kind of dissatisfaction with where we are, right? Like, um, like if you want to exercise, it's because you tried to mow the, the yard and you couldn't breathe. So you're like, man, I need to get, I need to get in shape. If you want to diet, it may be because you see some weight that you need to lose. There is a, a, um, a lack that leads to a longing in your life. And Paul says, listen, man, I know Christ, but I want to know him more. I want to know him more. I want to know him better. I don't, I don't want there to be anything in between my relationship with Christ. I want to know him perfectly. So this dissatisfaction is, is driving him to pursue this goal of knowing Jesus. And that means that Paul has to admit, man, I'm not there yet. And Paul does this several times inside of Scripture. In Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about this divided man that Man, I want to do good, but I know that the flesh and the world and temptation are there that pull me back to doing things that, that are not right. Um, he speaks in, uh, in the book of Timothy about him being the chief of sinners. And the reason that God has saved him is so that God can prove he can save anyone. In, in 1 John, John writes and says, listen, if we can f- say that we have no sin, we're a liar. We deceive ourselves. So the first thing here is Paul says, Although Christ has secured my future, I must readily admit I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect yet. I, I have things that I need to work on, goals that I, um, that, that I want to attain in Christ. Listen, when you fail to acknowledge that in your life, when you fail to acknowledge that in your life, you become someone who is incredibly prideful or incredibly complacent. 
Like this can lead to pride in your life when you begin to think, I have arrived. I have arrived. One of the things that you begin to do if you live in that kind of state is you begin to look at other people and say, well, I did it. Why can't you do it? Look at what I did. I, I accomplished this goal. Why can't you? You're just, not, you're, you're just not disciplined enough. You're just not this enough. You're not, if you were just more like me, maybe you could accomplish your goals too. It just becomes pharisaical legalism. Or you may just become utterly complacent when you think that you've arrived. Nothing to work on. Listen, when I got married and that relationship began, I did not step into marriage with my wife and say, honey, this is as good as it gets, right? You have married a man that has arrived at the pinnacle of manhood, all right? And I'm just going to bless you with my presence in marriage. Listen, I did not say that, right? Like when I stepped into that relationship, that there were things that came out. I did not realize the kind of selfish man I was, the depths of my selfishness, the depths of my, um, my lack of patience. The, these things came about. So, so Paul says here, if you're going to work on this thing of pursuing perfect Christ-likeness, to, to, to like and to be like Jesus perfectly, one of the first things that you're going to have to do is admit that you have not arrived yet. You're not there yet. Listen, when you begin to take that kind of posture, you become humble. You begin to be more patient with other people. If you're a parent in here, you begin to, be, to become more patient with your children. That your, your 14-year-old doesn't have it all figured out yet. I mean, one of the best things for me right now in raising my kids is looking back and remembering the dumb things I was doing at 8 and 10 and, and whatever and saying, okay, man, they're just not there yet. They're not there yet. You become humble. You become patient. You begin to move towards maturity. Maybe for you this morning, maybe for you this morning, you're sitting here, one of the first steps for you is the Spirit beginning to point out places in your life where you haven't arrived yet. And calling, to, calling you to this humility to say, man, I'm wrestling here. Man, I am struggling here. I, I, I've, been, I've been circling the drain of this sin for three or four years. I can't get over this thing on my own. I'm going to have to bring someone into fellowship and in relationship with me that can help me grow and move past some things in, in my life. Maybe this morning for you, it's just getting to this point where you're like, listen, I'm not as far along as I thought I was. I'm not, I'm, maybe I'm just not as mature as I thought I was. There are things in my life that I need to submit to the Lord. There's help that I need to begin to move past some things and begin to grow. Mature people, like Paul, are willing to acknowledge, I'm not there yet. That sounds really good to put on a t-shirt, you know, and, and wear whatever. That becomes really difficult to live out. Really difficult to live out, but it's the first way that we pursue. I think Paul's calling us to pursue. All right, here's the second thing. If you're gonna start there, look at what Paul goes on in the second part of verse 12 and the second part of verse 13. He says this. So I'm not, haven't already attained this. I'm not already perfect. And look at what he says here. But I press on. I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Look at what he says here at the end, uh, in the middle of verse 13. So it's not my own yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. So there's this, this press on, this striving, this straining kind of language. He says it three different times, this aggressive, energetic pursuit. 
all of his might is being used. Every spiritual muscle that he has is involved in this. So the second thing that you have to do is this. Listen, make every effort. Effort. Saying that I have not arrived in Paul does not lead to complacency. Like, knowing that the full arrival at this goal is not going to happen until he sees Jesus face to face doesn't cause Paul to sit back and say, well, I can just need to be resigned about where I am. It's just not going to get any better than this. This, There's no complacency. There's no resignation inside of Paul. There's no hint of that inside of him. Um, The pursuit of Jesus for the believer, it's not passive. Uh, Daniel, when he was talking about uh, Philippians chapter 2, I I think said it perfectly, but he was uh, going through Philippians chapter 2 for us, and he said this, you don't just stumble or fall into Christ-likeness, right? You don't, just like putting the, the, the book underneath your pillow and sleeping on it doesn't absorb all of the knowledge that's in the book. You don't just fall into this. Paul says, there is a pursuit of Christ, a wholehearted, one thing, single-minded pursuit of Jesus. And he says, in that pursuit, two things are happening inside of his life. So look at verse 13. Here's the first one. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Here's the first thing that he says. Man, he has, he has to forget what lies behind him. If you're running, and you're running a race or whatever, one of the worst things that you can do while you were running is look over your shoulder to see what's happening behind you. When you do that, you get off, you run into things, you're, you're not running in a straight line anymore. And, and the, the Greek word here for, um, that he uses literally means to forget, neglect, or care nothing about. It doesn't mean you're not thankful for past blessings. It doesn't mean that you don't remember things that the Lord has brought you through. But that's not your goal, things in the past. Your goal is something in front of you. And the two things that I think Paul is forgetting here, there's two things. One is past achievements. We know this from what he said previously. Listen, past achievements don't, don't matter. He's, he's got a, uh, as Todd talked about last week, man, he's a Jew of Jews. He was a Pharisee. He kept the law. He did all these things. And he's looking back and he's saying, listen, the point isn't my past achievements. I have to, I have to forget those things. That, that, that's not what matters. Past successes, if you're not careful, can create an unhealthy tendency to live in the glory days. I don't, I don't know if you guys saw this. Um, it, it came out a while back, but there was a movie called uh, Napoleon Dynamite, all right? Uh, if you haven't seen it, don't. It's a waste of time. I watched it like three times and regretted it every time I watched it. Uh, but man, in that scene, uh, I don't know if you guys remember Uncle Rico, man. Like, Uncle Rico is now in his mid to late 30s. And what Uncle Rico does during his day, spending his time, is setting up cameras to record himself hiking a football and throwing it out to someone because his senior year of high school, man, he threw the, he threw the touchdown pass that won the state championship, and all he talks about is what happened back then, what happened when he was in high school. Everything's a looking back to the glory days. Don't be Uncle Rico, right? Like, you may have been the fifth grade VBS student of the year, but you're 40 now. Like, what happened? Like, what happened between that point and this point? Why are you looking back to all these past achievements? Maybe it's not personal things. Maybe you're just constantly looking back. Well, I remember the way the church used to be. 
I remember what God did back then. Listen, God is still working and doing things now. He's still doing things now. We, we just had baptism. Do you realize how many baptisms we've had this year? I feel like there's been more weeks where this thing has been on the stage than off the stage. That's glory to God. That's not us. That's not, that's all goes to Jesus. God's still doing things. Lives are still being changed. I don't have to live in the past. Man, I want God to do things in my life now, right now, in this moment. Move. Shatter whatever you have to shatter. Move whatever you have to move. Do something fresh in me now, Lord. I don't want to look back at past achievements. Man, they're great, but you know what? When I stand before the Lord, I'm not going to bring my plaques with me. God doesn't care. So he's, he's looking back and he's saying, all right, past achievements. Man, I'm letting those things go, forgetting what lies behind me. God's doing something new I'm pressing towards, but it's not just past achievements. Listen to me very closely, because some of you this morning, this is what you need to hear. And all this week, when I began to study this passage, this was the first thing that came to my mind. Some of you need to forget your past failures. Your past sin and failures have robbed you of your future joy in Christ. Please listen to me. Please listen to me. Jesus is more powerful than your past. Jesus is more powerful than your past. The penalty and the condemnation for your sin, if you know Christ in here, was placed on the back of Christ and nailed to a cross. Condemnation and sin have been removed. Paul in this passage doesn't declare himself damaged goods. He persecuted the church. He hated Jesus. He lived in rebellion against Christ. He's not trying to pay God back for something. There's no payment left. Altars closed. It's Jesus or, or on you. Either Jesus pays for your sin or you pay for your sin. There, there, there are no more alternatives. And if you know Christ, the message again and again of the gospel is, listen, Jesus has covered your sin. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Romans chapter 8 very quickly. Romans chapter 8. Let me be honest with you, in my life, one of the primary ways that Satan will oftentimes attack me is by reminding me of my past failures. I don't know anyone who gets out of their teens and 20s without some stupidity, right? I don't know many 30, 40, 50 year olds that aren't still wrestling with some things in their life. I mean, until the day that you die, there's going to be wrestling. And one of the one of the attacks of the enemy is to go back and say, yeah, well, do you remember this? Do you really think God wants to use someone like you that could do this? Yeah, maybe it was 20 years ago. Maybe it was yesterday. And then, listen, the, the word Satan, it's not a proper name. It literally means the accuser. The accuser. This is what he does. But listen, in Romans chapter 8, so many times when I'm wrestling with that, because I do, I do. God brings me back to Romans chapter 8, two places specifically I want to read them to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? How much condemnation is there? None. None. Now listen, are there consequences of sin that you may have to deal with? Reconciliation with people that might need to be made? Apologies that need to be extended? Absolutely. But listen, the sin that was credited to your account that brought God's wrath and condemnation upon you has been severed, dealt with in Jesus. No more. It remains no more. You are free in Christ the, the, the consequences of your sin aren't God being mad at you and punishing you and condemning you. and, and do, that's, not, that's consequences of sin that we make right. But the penalty for that, the penalty for your sin, Jesus has removed. It's gone. It's gone. And the, and, and the next thing, look over in verse 30, 31. Now listen to me. Um, I know there's like this, this breakout in worship in chapter 9, but man, I, I, I think Paul's breaking out in worship here. And when you read verse 31, you, you should read that written from a man whose mind is absolutely blown. Like if you just kind of mumble through verse 31, you're not reading Paul right. This is one of the limits of written language. You just kind of read, no, no. When you read verse 31, you're reading the penmanship of a man whose mind is absolutely blown by something. So so this is what Paul says in, in verse 31. So what then shall we say to these things? If you want to know what these things are, read above. Start in Genesis and just come here to Romans right here in 8, all right? Read all of that. And, and, and Paul's like, what do we say to these things? These, th- these things are mind-blowing. Your mind should be blown at the things that we've just talked about, what God has done for you in the person and work of Christ. And, and, and so he goes on, if God is for us, think about that for a while. That the God of the universe is now in Christ on your side. He has redeemed, saved, delivered. If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Mind blown. And then it gets better. Look at, look at verse 33. When you begin to think about past failures and past sin, he, he says this, who is there that will bring any charge against God's elect? Now, at that point, you might say, well, Satan will. Like his name means a huge, Satan is going to bring up, he's going to remind, he's going to, the file folder is going to come out of all the sin that I've committed. He's going to try to raise charges against me. But Paul says here, who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Listen, your dad has gotten the final word. The judge has spoken. Debt paid. Paid in full. You didn't do that. I do. That's not something we did on our own. God has done that for you. He, he, he goes on. Who, who is there to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised We just celebrated that this morning. He's at the right hand of God who is interceding for us. Right now, Jesus Christ is interceding before the Father on your behalf. And let me tell you this, he's not arguing for your righteousness. 
He doesn't go into the courtroom with the father, and he doesn't say, Lord, listen, I'll use Daniel, all right? I, I know he's blown it again, all right? But listen, you just need to give him a little more time because, you know, three years ago he got it right, and we're hoping three years from now he's gonna be getting it right more. So let me tell you, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus goes into the courtroom with the folder, and he says, listen, yeah, this right here, paid. I did that. No, no more payment accepted. It's all been cleared. The debt has been finalized. It's done. It's finished. He never argues for your righteousness. He argues for his in your place, the gift that he's given to you. This is what Jesus does for us. So Paul, when he's, when he's going here, says, listen, I've got to admit I haven't arrived yet, and I've got to strain toward the goal. And the first part of this, I've got to forget what's behind, achievements and failures. And then he says this, not only do I forget what's back there, but then I fix my eyes on the goal, and I strive, and I strain forward. The straining, the, the word here literally means to stretch a muscle to its limit. To stretch a muscle to its limit. Paul is now going to do everything that he can to reach the goal of Christ-like perfection, to run the race of faith well. And he uses this imagery all over the Bible, all over the... So, so what does that mean to strain then? How do I exert every muscle in, 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 in pursuing this goal, all right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'll give you some things that Paul attaches to this this concept of running. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Paul writes and says this, do you not know that in a race all runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain the prize. Know what the goal is and begin to pursue it. Don't be distracted by other things. When runners start a race, they have one goal, get to the finish, win the prize, get there. That's the goal. They're single-minded. They're focused. Every every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable, they exercise self-control in their life. That the flesh and the world call them to do other things. They know that their desires are disordered because of sin and the flesh and the world. So they exercise self-control. This is one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. With the help of the Spirit, not in his own strength, with the help of the Spirit, self-control is being exercised inside of his life. I can say no to the desires of the flesh and the ways of the world. And I can say yes to the person and work of Jesus because of the Spirit of God that now lives inside of me. He, he, he goes on. So I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I don't box like one who's just beating the air, but I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I, I should be disqualified. Discipline. He did spiritual practices, disciplining himself to walk in the way of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, Paul's again, uses running imagery. He says a lot of the same things, but in Hebrews chapter 12, he says this, Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin to strain and strive forward. Paul is putting sin to death. He's putting sin to death by the help of the Spirit. He is putting sin to death. Let us lay aside weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And he is putting sin to death. He is focusing on the... On, on Christ, his life, his death, and resurrection, what Jesus has done for him. And where is your focus today? Is, is your focus in the past, is your focus on sin, or is your focus on Jesus? 
this is part of it. And then in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he uses racing imagery again. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. How does he strain and strive forward? He keeps the faith. He holds fast to the, to the gospel of Jesus, faith in Christ. He refuses to be moved off of Jesus, his finished work, what he has done. Listen, this is how Paul strains and strives forward. What may the, the Lord be asking you this morning to lay aside or forget so that you could pursue him better? All right, now here's the last thing. Now don't forget this, because this last thing here, it's the foundation of it all. All right? It's the foundation of If you miss this last point, you will blow the first two. All right? Um, I don't know if you guys watch uh, HGTV, all those shows, like, you know, Property Brothers, Love It and List It, uh, the uh, Chippy, Joanna, Waco people, uh, Fixer Upper, right there. Got some HGTV in you, all right? Uh, um, one of the first things they always do when they go into these houses is they look at the foundation, right? Because the foundation isn't right. If it's cracked, if it's broken, if things are, if things are the whole house sags, you get cracks, things don't, things don't sit right, things don't look right, things don't function properly, your plumbing can be destroyed, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of, worth of work. So, so this is foundation, this is bedrock. Why does he do these things? Why does he admit, then why does he forget, why does Paul strain and strive? This is the foundation of it all. So look here at verse... Um, look at the end of verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Admit he's not there. But I press on to make it my own. He makes every effort. I press on to make it my own because. Underline, circle, highlight, point arrows down, to that word, because what's the foundation that is causing Paul to pursue and run the race in the manner and the way that he is? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The foundation of it all is the finished work of Jesus. It's the finished work of Jesus, the ground of his forgetting, the ground of his striving, the foundation of everything is what Jesus had already done. Listen, you can't flip those things. The gospel is not do this so that Jesus will love you. That's backwards. That's religious legalism. The gospel is Jesus loves you, so do this and live this way. It may sound simple, but you can't flip those things. If you flip those things, you have man-made religion, not the gospel of Jesus, because Paul's striving and his straining is, is an outgrowth of what Jesus has already done for him. He says, Jesus has taken hold of me, and because Christ has taken hold of me, because of that, I'm now doing and living this way. I'm now doing and living this way. Paul was in awe of what Jesus had done for him. 
Listen to me. When was the last time you were in awe of what God had done for you in Christ? Like I think of Paul pinning these words here and when he gets to because Christ Jesus has taken hold of me, I wonder in that moment if Paul was thinking back to the Damascus Road, remembering what happened on that day when Paul, who wasn't looking for Jesus, who hated Jesus, who was walking in rebellion against Jesus, who cared nothing for Jesus and was trying to squelch and squash the name of Jesus, in that moment, Jesus broke into his life and saved him and took hold of him and ripped him out of this domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his, uh, uh, of, his of light, where, where, where Christ now is. Friend, listen to me. You may not have been on a road to Damascus, but if you're a believer in here, you had a Damascus moment where God took hold of you and saved you. Paul's story is your story. Paul's story is your story. Our prayer this morning is that we would be in awe of what God has done for us, what Jesus has done for us, and that the awe of that would push us to strive and strain for the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So listen, maybe for you this morning, as we wind down here, listen, I just want to ask you, what are you pursuing this morning? What's your, what's your goal? I think one of the dangers inside of the church, if we're not careful, is that we, we come here weekly, we hear questions like that. That's a great question. We leave and it just kind of goes out of our mind and we don't ponder and meditate upon, all right, what is the goal of my life? Like, what am I pursuing? And maybe I gotta ask some people around me to help me kind of figure out what that is, but what's the goal of your life? What is the one thing, the one thing above all other things that is the pursuit of your life? And maybe this morning for you, it's the Lord asking you to be humble enough, humble, humble enough to recognize and realize and admit some things in your life that maybe are keeping you from that pursuit. What past achievements do you need to let go of and ask the Lord to do something fresh in your life now? Maybe for you this morning, it's laying past failures at the cross of Christ and worshiping him that these things are covered and your shame and your guilt, all of it was placed on the back of Jesus and nailed to the cross. But maybe for some of you in here morning, here's the reality. You're not even running yet. You're not even running yet Is your pursuit of Christ being motivated by your understanding of how Christ pursued you? Listen, if that hasn't happened inside of your life yet, you can't do the first two things. You, you just can't do it. You will try to, to 
um, just behavior modification. Work yourself up and make some changes. And listen, you're going to fail. It's not going to work. There's not, there's not a power inside of you greater than the power outside of you. Worst case scenario, you'll make some kind of progress in that, and, and, and the idol of self will be set up on the altar of your life, and you'll think, I did it. Listen, I'm awesome. No, you're not. Jesus is. Jesus is. So maybe for you this morning, as you're hearing this, it's like, man, the first thing that I got to do is admit that I need a savior, that I've got to turn away from all these achievements, all this sin, all this other stuff. I got to turn away from that, and I need, to, I need to turn to Christ and put my faith and my hope in Jesus and in Jesus alone, in Jesus alone. Man, my prayer this morning, if that's where you are, that this morning might be the morning where Jesus takes hold of you and brings you into his family. Let's pray. Let's pray together, church. Father, I just want to thank you and for the truth this morning. Lord, thank you that you have loved us in Christ. Jesus, thank you for your life, your death, your resurrection, that when we were in rebellion against you, even in that place, you took hold, you saved, you awakened faith, you made alive, Father, that you, you brought us into your family. And Lord, I pray for us this morning that we would be single-minded in our pursuit of you. Father, that if there are things in our life, past achievements, past failures, current sin that keeps us from pursuing this goal of, of being perfectly like you, Lord, that we would begin to lay those things aside that by work of your spirit inside of our life that we would begin to put the flesh to death, that we would walk in step with the spirit, follow the leading of the spirit, that the fruit of the spirit would begin to grow in our lives. And that, Lord, we would continue to be conformed into the image of Jesus. And Father, I also pray that. Lord, I pray that for anyone in this room that might be sitting here this morning for the first time beginning to realize, man, I need a savior. I need Jesus. I'm trying to do things on my own, in my own strength, in my own power. I can't let go of this, the shame and the guilt of my past. I know that I'm guilty. I need Jesus. This morning, Father, would that happen? Lord, we love you so thankful for the work that you have done and the work that you are doing and the work that will be completed on the day when we see Jesus face to face. Would we pursue that, Lord, as a church? Would that be the cry of our heart here at Coggin? We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Coggin Church podcast. We exist to make disciples by leading people to connect with God, with others, through service to the world. For more information about Coggin, visit us at www.cogginchurch.org.